Der deutsche Spargelkult müsse enden. Germany's beleaguered defense minister has temporarily dropped his PhD title. Und zwar ist eine Perle der deutschen Industrie. Und ich glaube, das kann man nicht. Ich weiß, wie viel Liebe dahinter steckt. Wenn Glühweinstände aufgebaut werden, wenn Wachstum. Spargelweltmeister ist China, denn die bauen sich. Hi, welcome to Spaßbremse. I'm Michelle. Hey, I'm Ted. We are recording here in Berlin. I'm pretty excited to talk about this idyllic Heimat of ours. Yeah, indeed. We are starting a podcast about Germany. And we really want to talk to you about some of the stranger, darker, lesser known sides of this country's politics, economics, and history that you might not have heard about before especially in the English language press, because in my experience, a lot of the Anglophone media, it almost universally paints this extremely rosy picture of the country. Um, you know, you, you hear these sort of recurring tropes, discuss it as like a beacon of liberal values, um, modernity, stability, efficiency, of course. Um, but our experience and the reality of the actual situation on the ground in Germany is quite different and we'd really like to share that with you in this podcast there really isn't a better time to discuss this i don't know if you've heard about this supervalia we find ourselves in basically means super election year we've had a few at the state level the federal election is this september to elect a new parliament to see who will be following up merkel That's right. Germany will soon be under new management. And by new management, we probably mean relatively similar management <laughs> with a new face. Um, but it's still important. There's still an election. You're going to be hearing a lot about it. Um, and probably a lot of the things, if you're in the English-speaking world, will be pretty bad or wrong or very dumb. And we want to correct that. This problem of the coverage of Germany abroad has really been a long-standing frustration of mine. Just seeing this absolute fawning coverage of Germany and Chancellor Merkel in the US and British press. There's way too many examples to name them all, but just to point out a few recent ones that I've noticed, in 2019, Susan Nyman published a book with the title, Learning from the Germans, Race and the Memory of Evil, where she praises German memory culture, argues that it serves as a model for the U.S., particularly with the, the memory and the legacy of slavery. The problem is that she ignores much of the awful racism alive in Germany today, as well as the ways in which memory phrases like never again have just turned into these rote and meaningless expressions that aren't tied to any real politics anymore. A little earlier in 2012, right as this brutal austerity was being unleashed on Southern Europe, largely at the behest of Germany. The Economist magazine praised Germany's economic model, including its, quote, flexible labor market and large trade surplus, mostly ignoring the domestic inequality and international immiseration that these policies caused. Third, just last year, there was a book published by the Times journalist John Kampfner that's of the, the London Times, not the New York Times. It's titled, Why the Germans Do It Better, Notes from a Grown-Up Country. 
And funnily enough, this was right before Germany plunged into this winter of completely chaotic COVID response and an initially quite slow vaccine rollout. So this book, it's just really a combination of pablum and anecdotes about why, and I quote, Today, as much of the world succumbs to authoritarianism and democracy is undermined from its heart, Germany stands as a bulwark for decency and stability. And he argues that despite its faults, Germany has become a model for others to emulate. And finally, and most nauseatingly, this is when Merkel was granted an honorary doctorate from Harvard in 2019. So the Harvard Gazette assembled this group of foreign policy types from both sides of the Atlantic to sing her praises. And they claimed that, quote, now, as national populist forces again threaten to overtake much of Europe and undermine relations between the U.S. and the continent, Harvard welcomes a pivotal democratic figure, a woman widely regarded as the most respected leader in the world, German Chancellor Angela Merkel. And so they go on, they praise her leadership, her unflappability, her humility, so on and so on, even comparing her to Nelson Mandela as the world's most respected leader. So, uh... Quite, uh, quite bold claims coming from, from this little piece. Quite the laundry list. And I think we all know the stereotypes that surround these types of stories. You've got the unmatched German efficiency, Germany as the sole nation that has adequately dealt with its troubled history, while other countries fail to even acknowledge their past. Germans as a socially accepting, pro-immigrant and environmentally conscious people... Right. <laughs> yeah, no, and and at the macro level too, there's this idea that's pretty popular, I think both in the US and Europe that Germany is like the this the anchor of Europe from the in the European Union and also that Germany is a model for how to build a more humane and fair capitalist society even though the experience actually living here is that German capitalism is not really humane or or fair at all. Yeah, there's just there's so many misconceptions, I think, especially especially abroad. Right. And then anecdotally from talking with friends and family back home in the U.S., for some people, Germany simply conjures images of Oktoberfest and the Autobahn. And that's it. I think a lot of Americans just see jolly Bavarian men in beer tents maybe they vaguely know who Merkel is or have enjoyed a soft pretzel before. And in case that's where you're at, no worries. We'll try and provide the background you need to understand Ted's rants about economic policy. That's right. Get excited. <laughs> right. Um, beside our foreigner points of view, maybe we should kind of give a quick overview of each of our political backgrounds just so people know what informs this analysis. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I myself work at a kindergarten here in Berlin as a teacher for kids with special educational needs. I'm a member of the teachers union, GEW, that's Die Gewerkschaft Erziehung und Wissenschaft. Both Ted and I are active in the DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, and we're both members of Die Linke Internationals. That's the international wing or uh, working group, actually, of the left political party here. Yep, and I work at a university here in Berlin, and I research political economy, including a lot about Germany and its relationship, uh, both with its own history and with the rest of the world. Like Michelle said, I'm, al I'm also a member of the same union. 
And I should also stress that we don't represent any of these institutions. Our perspective is, is our own here. And those affiliations are just to give you an idea of our political background and the angle that we want to bring to the podcast. Exactly. So we're both pretty excited to bring you Spaßbremse. In case you're lucky enough to never have taken a German course, this literally translates to fun break. In English, I guess we'd say Debbie Downer or Buzzkill. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that people would have called me as a kid if I had grown up in Germany. Right. So <laughs> what we want to do is select topics that listeners may have already picked up on or wondered about these idiosyncratic aspects of German society and get some critique and context going. Hopefully this will also be of interest to people who have lived in Germany for a long time. Even original Germans, you're very welcome <laughs> to listen. I'd like to give you a quick preview of some of the episodes we've got lined up. We thought about what people need to be primed for the Supervalia. So we have some basis episodes on Treuhand and reunification, the Schwarze Null, the, the Black Zero, and debt aversion more generally. Some social issues we want to talk about are abortion rights. We'll also do an episode on housing politics, especially the ongoing campaign Deutsche Wohnen und Co. Enteignen, which is attempting to expropriate corporate landlords here in Berlin. And they've reached the amount of signatures necessary to get that initiative on the ballot in September. So I'm pretty hyped about that. And of course, with the election coming up, like I said, we want to discuss Merkel and her legacy. That's right. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. Um, and yeah, as, as you mentioned, you know, these are all... These are all ones we want to cover before the election. We'll see if we can fit in more. Um, you know, the idea of these is to give a context of what created the modern German political landscape. What are the issues at stake? Um, it's really to give you this sort of bigger picture and this better context that you can get for understanding German politics. Because people talk about the German election, but the analysis is very surface level. And so we want to get down into some of these bigger issues that, that really create the the terrain on which these electoral battles will be waged. Um, and then after the election, we have a ton of other great episodes for later that we will discuss more with you then. And I should just say next week, our first full episode will be on Hatzfia, um, the infamous labor and welfare reforms from the early 2000s that really made the modern German political landscape what it is today. And that might sound a bit obscure, talking about labor reforms on our first episode. But I really think it is the most important political event in Germany post reunification and yeah, just just really set up the party landscape, a lot of the social issues, the economic structure. And you really can't understand German politics without understanding Hatzfia. And that's why we're going to start with it. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about that. So, yeah, see you guys all next week. And thanks so much for listening. Cheers. Ciao, ciao.